You know, if we're really honest with ourselves, life ought to come with a list of side effects, or at least a warning. A note should accompany every newborn baby saying, your life will be filled with fun and adventure, joy and excitement. But there will be a downside. There will be illness, broken relationships, betrayal, sorrow, disappointments, disease, and death. In fact, if we look around us, we see that suffering is everywhere. Suffering is unavoidable. And at times, suffering is overwhelming. Thousands of people die from traffic accidents and cancer every single hour. Hundreds of thousands of people die from unexpected tragedies, and hundreds more are crushed by the grief and shock of that reality. Actually, life does come with a warning from Jesus himself when he tells us, in this world, you will have trouble. But why? Why will we have trouble? Why will we suffer? This why question goes back thousands of years. It was asked in the Old Testament by Job and the writers of the Psalms. Have you ever wondered how Moses felt as he stood on that mountain, looking over to the promised land, all the while knowing he was not going to be allowed to enter it? Or Peter in the New Testament, how do you think he felt after the rooster crowed and he found himself denying Jesus for the third time, just as Jesus said he would? Or Mary, as she heard Simeon prophesy that a sword would pierce her soul because of her son Jesus. And what about the women, the women who watched Jesus be crucified from afar? Can you imagine the pain and anguish and depression they must have felt. Actually, in modern times, the question of suffering has become especially relevant in the last part of the 20th century, where we have witnessed two world wars, a holocaust, the devastating famines of Africa, the killing fields of Cambodia, and the ethnic cleansing of Kosovo, as well as the attacks of 9-11. In the last 20 years, we've all heard on the news and read the headlines of the shootings across America, in small towns, in our churches, and in our cities over and over and over again. Lord, have mercy. The reality is, is that pain and suffering is the norm of this world. Evil and suffering is so pervasive that it is difficult to comprehend or even acknowledge. Often when we hear of a tragedy, there is a deep-seated psychological defense mechanism that goes to work inside each one of us. We think to ourselves, well, such things happen to other people who don't take precautions. We tell ourselves, well, that happened over there or in that town. I don't hang out with those people. I would never have done that. Gang warfare or burglaries and violence don't happen in my suburb or in my city. 
We're always looking at some sort of way to make sense of it all, to keep the tragedy over there happening to other people. The fact is, pushing off the reality of our own death has become a national obsession. We exercise, we check our pulse, our cholesterol, we try to all look younger, pushing against our own mortality. But no amount of hard work, good planning, great careers, wonderful family and friends can prevent us from suffering. Despite all of our efforts, we will experience the loss of loved ones, debilitating and even fatal diseases, personal betrayals, financial setbacks, and moral failures. Living a normal life expectancy, all of us will experience some sort of suffering on this planet. So the question that we'll wrestle with today is this. Given the reality of suffering in our lives, how can a good God, a just God, a loving God, allow such misery, depravity, pain, and anguish? To begin to answer this question, we must first embrace the fact that God originally created a perfect world where suffering and evil did not exist. We read in Genesis where God created the heavens and the earth, the animals and the plants and the birds and all of us, human beings. And God saw what he made and said it was very good. But God also gave us as human beings free will. The choice on how we're going to live our lives and if we're going to love God or not. And the moment Adam and Eve bit into that forbidden fruit, their sweet innocence turned to bitter guilt. In the garden, they'd only known bliss and contentment. And suddenly, their happiness gave way to anxiety and fear. Paradise began to suffer. From that day on, Adam and Eve groaned for the release from the iron grip of misery and pain, just as we do today. And as a result of their disobedience to God's one command, his one command to not eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge, evil was ushered into the world. Specifically, moral evil and natural evil. Moral evil is the pain and suffering that happens when we choose to be selfish and arrogant, uncaring, hateful, even abusive. As the Apostle Paul likes to remind us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Some have estimated that 95% of the world's suffering results because of our sin and the sin of others. For example, people look to famine and then wonder where is God, but the reality is this world can produce enough food to feed the 7 billion people who live here. It is our own irresponsibility and self-centeredness that prevents people from getting fed. In other words, we can choose to love people and help them, or we can choose to turn our backs on the poor and those in need and not participate. 
but it's unfair for us to turn our backs and then blame God for all the pain and suffering, especially when we are part of the problem. The second kind of evil is natural evil, and these are things like earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes that cause suffering. But these too are the result of sin being allowed into the world. When we rebelled against God, we weren't the only ones to suffer. The earth was cursed. Genetic breakdown and disease began. Pain and suffering became part of the human experience. But friends, here is the key. While God did not create pain and suffering, he will use our pain and suffering for good. God will heal and restore us and use us. And this is the good news. God will heal and restore us, his broken vessels for his glory and for our redemption. This very journey through the pain and anguish of our broken lives and a broken world is one of the most important journeys that we will ever take and we will ever be on, and it is the most life-giving and life-changing. Author and pastor Timothy Keller tells us that he and his wife Kathy came to see that through their own trials, that the great theme of the Bible itself is how God brings fullness of joy not just despite, but through suffering, just as Jesus saved us, in, not in spite of, but because of what he endured on the cross. Journeying with Jesus through our pain and suffering is indeed a transformational experience because it is through that suffering that we come to better understand and know our reliance on God. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The Bible tells us this over and over again. The book of Exodus recounts the Israelites in the wilderness. They spent 40 years, 40 years, as a time of testing and trial and, yes, transformation. While the book of Psalms gives us a prayer for every single situation in life, it's remarkable that the vast number of Psalms and prayers are prayers that are cries of pain and suffering. The book of Job and Ecclesiastes are almost wholly dedicated to deep reflection on unjust suffering. And the New Testament books such as Hebrews and 1 Peter are almost entirely devoted to helping people face relentless sorrows and troubles. And towering over all, the main character of God's story, Jesus Christ is a man of sorrows. We can take great comfort in knowing that Christ has walked in our pain and will continue to walk with us, that Christ suffers with us and alongside us. 
The Gospels show us Jesus experiencing the ordinary pressures of human life. He experienced weariness and thirst, distress, grief, and a troubled heart. His suffering was such that throughout his life he offered up prayers filled with anguish and cried out to God even sweating blood. He knew what it was like to be completely misunderstood by his friends and rejected by his family in his hometown. He was tempted by the devil. And amazingly, we're told in the book of Hebrews that Jesus learned from his suffering. Don Carlson tells it like this, the God on whom we rely knows what suffering is all about not merely in the way that God knows everything, but by experience. And at the end of his life, we come to the passion, quite literally the sufferings of Christ. Jesus was abandoned, denied, and betrayed by all the people he had poured his life into for three years. And on that cross, he was forsaken by even his father. This final experience of agony is beyond anything that we will ever experience on this earth. And yet we're not finished with what the Bible tells us about God's suffering. In the book of Acts chapter 9, we have the account of Jesus' encounter with Paul. Paul, a zealous Pharisee, originally named Saul, was busy persecuting the Christians. And on that encounter on the road to Damascus, Jesus cries out, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Here we see Jesus who so identifies with his people that he shares in their suffering. When we are hurt and when we grieve, so does he. And we can have the remarkable comfort of knowing that because we are connected through Christ by the Spirit, because we are part of the body of Christ, that we share in his suffering and he shares in ours. Suffering and mourning are so important to the kingdom of God that Jesus even preaches about it in his Sermon on the Mount when he tells us, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Around Galilee when Jesus lived, mourning wasn't hushed or shushed either. Mourners would come out into the square and literally tear their clothes as they wailed and mourned for their loved ones. They would pick up the dirt of the ground and sprinkle it on their heads as they cried out in pain. They wouldn't try to get busy or rush off to work. This would go on for a week at a time. They would share their suffering with others and they would love each other in their suffering. Grief in our culture is often hurried along. Too many times we just want the person to feel better. We often pity those who mourn. We avert our gaze, send off a quick note, a sprig of flowers, a quick prayer, maybe even apply some theological bomb. Oh, they're in a better place. We hope the mourners feel better soon so we can get back to our lives that they have somehow interrupted. 
But suppose you stay with the person who mourns. Suppose you stay with the person in their grief and you bear their tears. I know a father whose teenage daughter was killed in a horrible automobile accident. And after a time, we just wanted him to feel better. But he didn't want to feel better. For a return to his happy life would be letting go of his daughter. Grief is sometimes all we have left of a loved one. Every lament becomes a love song. And how strange it is, in the throes of grief, people later report how palpable, how palpable was the presence of God as they grieved. Nicholas Wolterstorff put it this way, through the prison of my tears, I have seen a suffering God. The poor in spirit, those who are suffering and filled with grief are able to sense the heart of God. As we mourn and grieve, we start to feel as God feels. We start to see the world as God sees it. We start to see a broken world with all of its depravity, and so we mourn. Jesus praises the weeping class, those who are able to enter into the, the pain of the world in solidarity and not extract themselves from it. And it is here, friends, that we learn to love the world as God loves the world. And because we mourn, God mourns with us. And so if you are mourning here today, I assure you that God is with you. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The good news in all of this is not only are we closer to God in our grief and suffering, God can redeem and transform us in our weakness and in our suffering. Johnny Erickson Tata began her deep journey with Jesus back in 1967 when a horrible diving accident left her completely paralyzed at the age of 18. Her permanent paralysis plummeted her into a deep, dark depression, and she was quickly sinking into despair. During the night, after visiting hours were over, she would lie in the darkened hospital room trying to snap her neck, trying to end her life, kill herself, and end her misery. She listened to morbid tunes daily, expressing bitterness. One day, one of her good friends named Steve, age 17, came to visit her and out of the blue said, Johnny, don't you know any uplifting songs? And Johnny was immediately embarrassed and taken aback at his right on target of her self-absorbed self-pity and bitterness. And he said, Johnny, you have a beautiful voice. You like to sing. Don't you want to sing any hymns? And he opened his Bible and began reading to her from Ephesians chapter 5, saying, Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But Johnny told him she didn't feel thankful. She wanted to die. Steve persisted and told her to start small, giving thanks to God for just the littlest thing. So Johnny gave it a try. She began reading Ephesians 5 over and over again, just mouthing the words, going through the motions, praying and hoping and praying and singing that God would mend her broken heart, heal her bitter tongue, her harsh words, her self-pity, and her broken soul. And after several months, a miracle started to happen. Johnny slowly began to feel the emotion of gratitude and thankfulness. She found that by being in the presence of God and reading scripture and singing and praying over and over, that she felt like she was being showered with God's love and grace and mercy. And she was learning that the thankful words in her mouth became the thankful feelings in her heart and her soul. Months after Johnny was released from the hospital, she met up with her friend Steve and excitedly told him that her wheelchair was allowing her to dig deeper into God's word. And Steve was quiet for a moment, and then he said, Johnny, this is the first time I've heard you call it my wheelchair. Johnny was beginning to own her own weakness and suffering. As Christians and people on this planet, we often try to forget our weakness. God wants us to remember it, to feel it deeply. We often want to conquer our weakness and be freed from it, but God wants us to rest in it and even rejoice in it. This is a totally different way of looking at suffering, not as the world perceives it, but as the Bible explains it. Own your weakness. See it as an ally, not as an enemy of God. God cares too much for all of us to be left in that darkened hospital room trying to snap our necks. Is there a physical challenge too great? Is there an emotional wound that is too deep or a disease? That is too complicated. The Apostle Paul says, For to be sure, Jesus was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him in our dealing with you. An amazing exchange occurs here. As Jesus yielded his suffering to his Father, he received God's power, and in doing so, he empowers all of us. For when we see ourselves in our weakness and brokenness, Jesus makes it possible for us to live by the power of God. Because of her ordeal and suffering, Johnny Erickson Tata, for the last 40 years, has been a major advocate for people with disabilities around the world and their families. She began the effective ministry of Johnny and Friends, which is a nonprofit organization which helps churches start ministries for those with disabilities. Through her suffering, Johnny has indeed been able and has been blessed by God's power. It is little wonder that the Apostle Paul 
the one who was shipwrecked and beaten over and over and imprisoned and crucified upside down for the sake of Jesus encourages us to own our suffering. He wants us to seek God especially in our suffering. And so friends, today, while I would not wish any brokenness or hardship on anyone, when we are in the midst of a difficult passage in life, I pray that we can cling to Jesus in our suffering and pain. For it is in our weakness that we can live in Christ and receive God's power for his glory and for our redemption. Let us pray. Dearest Father God, help us, help us, Father, in our suffering to cling to Jesus, to reach out to him, to cry out to him. Father, help us to receive your power, mighty God, in our weakness, for your glory, in our redemption. And all God's children said, amen.